We are encountering silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Well, for this episode of Encountering Silence, like to do something that maybe we should have done probably the first episode, but maybe we couldn't do it. Maybe now is the time to do it after two years of being on the air. Recently on our social media page, specifically on Facebook, we interact with our fans on Facebook and Twitter and sometimes Instagram in various places. So I encourage those people who are listening, you know, please reach out to us. We respond to our listeners. One of the listeners reached out and asked specifically, They said, hey, I just found out about your podcast, and I went to your page, and I started to look around, and there is so much information there. Where do I begin? How do I start? Could you tell me, what is this podcast about? So I responded and gave, you know, a pretty lengthy description, and they said, well, is there one episode that encapsulates or can give me an orientation or a place to start, you know, from somebody who's coming in, and there's 80 episodes there? Where do I, where would you suggest I begin? So I suggested, of course, our pilot and if there's a couple episodes and said, you can get a taste of what we're doing there. And that didn't really uh, satisfy them. They said, could you just give me an episode or an explanation in one tight area? And I realized, I said, well, you kind of have to listen to all 80 episodes to capture what we've been doing here because it's unfolding. And so maybe now, is the time this episode could be a chance for us to talk about, the three of us, what is the orientation towards silence? How can we describe what silence is? Where would we want someone who first comes to our page and first shows up to the podcast? What would we want them to know? Where would we send them? And so what's interesting for me is I'm this question for me is, what does it mean to orient to silence? I'd like to ask that question for the three of us, and then maybe that would allow us to direct future listeners in a particular direction around the podcast. I don't, I don't know that, uh, that, that this will work, but recently um, I'm taking a class on the book of Job. Oh, so light reading. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because in Job 2, it says that his friends sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and that no one spoke a word, for they saw his suffering was great. Mm -hmm. I think there's two things I want to say here. We talk a lot about the suffering and the anguish and the, the meeting place of silence for knowing who we are, what we have to say, but also understanding and connecting with the pain of the world. And then we also talk about you know, the pleasures of silence and the joys of silence. And so what's interesting to me is that in, in Job, it's, it's this, it's this connectivity of suffering or this attempt to connect, right? Because we know the speeches that follow. And, you know, while advice giving is a, is a natural sentiment of our society, you know, really 
we long to be seen and to be witnessed. And I think silence can provide that amid suffering. In terms of the that meeting place and that beautiful place of the gladness of silence, the joy of silence, I like to reference Thomas Merton, who chose to live in a hermitage in the Kentucky woods as a Trappist monk. And in this little essay called Day of a Stranger, he, he wrote, one might say I had decided to marry the silence of the forest. The sweet dark warmth of the whole world will have to be my wife. Out of the heart of that dark warmth comes the secret that is heard only in silence but is the root of all secrets that are whispered by all the lovers in their beds all over the world. So perhaps I have an obligation to preserve the stillness, the silence, the poverty, the virginal point of pure nothingness, which is the center of all other loves. And so this idea of silence as central and centric to all other loves is really, and it kind of blossoms from there, is a really... I don't know, that quote has always just really revealed to me the the possibilities of the gladness of silence. It's fascinating, too, piggybacking off this idea of Job, right? Because sitting there with somebody suffering, and so before all the advice-giving begins. But isn't it interesting, too, this idea of Job in this place, I like that center of loves that you're talking about, because mm. God shows up. In, in Job, uh, it takes a while. <laughs> so there's the silence of God, but then there's God. And and so this, for me, you know, God being kind of just representing, even for those non-believers, kind of being that moment of the center of all things, as you just said in that Merton poem, mm-hmm. that out of all these things are the foundation of all things. Uh, so mm-hmm. God's in that silence too. And thank, thank God, God is because... Um, uh, you know, depending on the tone, will really, no matter the tone, but kind of depending on the tone you read God in, even God's advice giving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. in, in Job. So. Right, right. But it's interesting that uh, God's advice is kind of interesting. God's advice is kind of it, it's it's fun. It's fascinating. I mean, you can read it so many different ways, but I think to, I'll read it this way for the moment for the, for the podcast. The advice is almost like, um, can you shut up? Like, who do you think you are? Shut up. You know, be quiet. Which is kind of like, get back to silence. And I know that can come across harshly from mm. somebody who's suffering like it's a silencing. But it could be—I I, want to try to give benefit of the doubt for the moment. Uh, I know that there's nice arguments and stuff can be made. Let's, I'll give the benefit of the doubt for the moment that it could be, can we go back to the silence? Can we be, can we be quiet mm. for a moment here? What it makes me think of is when a baby is crying— and mm-hmm. the mother tries to soothe the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shh, yeah. it's going to be okay. Uh, yeah. It's going to be okay. So certainly, you know, we can read the language of Job as that kind of, you know, who do you think you are? Right. It seems right. to be kind of a shaming language. Right. But I think there's more to the story than that. Yeah, it's much more that. complex, you yeah. know. I think that's why that people struggle with that book, because it has— it's ambiguous, and so the ambiguity causes a lot of discernment and a lot of arguments, and, and and rightfully so. It should be. It's a book that should be struggled with. It should not just be taken lightly. Well, I didn't mean to take us down a Job rabbit hole, so let's come out of that. <laughs> that's, well, that's totally fine. 
But I think captures it though, right? I mean, I think an orientation of silence gets, I I think it's really nice. We don't want to go into a Job rabbit hole, but it centers around these questions of, is silence a silencing? Is it an opening? Is it an invitation? And you did that in your quote, plus citing Job, it raises the ambiguity here. And so when you orient towards silence, maybe the first one, the first orientation is the ambiguity of it. And that can start us to have a conversation around it, maybe. I read somewhere once, I, I can't tell you who I'm quoting, is this was a long time ago, but somebody once talked about aesthetics and kind of mm. the theory of art. And this particular critic said that all art does one of two things. It either celebrates beauty, points to beauty, tries to capture beauty, or it celebrates the absence of beauty and points out what mm. a deprivation of beauty means. And, and when I think about, you know, some of, uh, there was a poem, and I'm, I'm sorry my, my brain is a sieve, but a poem that came out about 25 years ago now, and it was, it was looking at kind of the experience of people of color in the Bronx. And it was a hard poem, because it was a poem that faced straight on the reality of, of drug use and gangs and violence and, you know, and the, the kind of, you know, horrors that the injustices of our culture have created. But there you go. That poem was a beautiful poem because it testified to what happens when we allow our culture to create these pockets without beauty. And, you know, through racism, through injustice, economic injustice and so forth. So taking this back to silence, I think we find silence paradoxically in the absence of silence. That there's something about the absence of silence that can that can pivot us back deeper into it. And I think about uh, Martin Laird and his whole idea that the noise in our mind is always meant to be a doorway into deeper silence. And so for me, back to the the root question of this conversation, you know, how do we orient ourselves to silence? I want to begin with our heartbeat because, you know, the heart begins beating, you know, even, even before we're born, it begins in utero. And it's traditionally one of the, the most reliable markers for the end of life. So, so our, our heartbeat is our companion throughout our life journey. And the reality is, is that every heartbeat is, is, a, is a breaking of silence, but then a, a re-releasing back into silence. Mm. And even if your heart is beating at 120 or 130 beats a minute, which is what, it, two or three beats a second, that even even within that tiny you know moment of time, there's still a glimmer of silence, and yet there's still the body saying yes, saying yes to life, saying yes to circulation, saying yes to growth. But the, but the heart can't beat without the silence of the heart's rest, because mm-hmm. if the heart doesn't rest, it's not going to beat again. You know, the heart never goes on vacation. You know, and the heart doesn't say, look, I'm going to take the next half hour off. You know, you'll just have to, you know, circulate the blood some other way, jump up and down, you know, or whatever. The, the heart, the way the heart takes a break is after every beat. It's Sabbath happens mm. 100, 100 times a minute or 60 times a minute, depending on how healthy you are, or how, you know, physically exertive you are. So, um, so what I get from that, first of all, is that silence is in our bodies that silence is always with us, 
that it, part of the human condition is that we push against silence. We speak, we cry, we moan, we fight, we, our heart beats. So silence is there as an end unto itself, but it's also there as a means to the end of, of all of life. And so ironically, silence is something that gives itself away and that it, it immediately steps back so that the voice can be heard or the song can be sung or the poem can be written. So I don't know if any of that's helpful, but, but you know, I, I really want to keep silence in the body. I think it's just so, so important that we mm -hmm. do that. And so that's why I find myself keep going back to the heartbeat. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think when we can conceive silence in that kind of a metaphorical and actually literal, both metaphorical and literal sense, Silence perpetuates its life as of as being wordless, empty, and nothingness, and at the same time, everything and whole. Um, not only does it make it infinite, but it points to its wholeness. Yeah, the idea of wholeness is a is a beautiful thing because it holds all, and all would include lack, you know, and so that's. It's hard. I, I, I think a thing I always add too for me because I, I approach, I fully endorse what the two of you've said. I would probably say something somewhere in, in different circumstances. Uh, I think deeply embodied. Um, I think the ambiguity and the kind of the center of all things, as Cassidy said. And then I, this moment for me of kind of, I, I find really important to put those two together for me, um, it comes together in an, a way of being present in the world. And so silence for me is a kind of, silence is a knowing. That it's a kind of knowing that's embodied. It's, it'll, it'll, and it's ambiguous because it allows for everything to be known. Um, it's the most true thing because rather than me slanting the news or my story or whatever, because words are, are me-focused. It's just, just, it's not even a negative thing. It's just necessary by the way language works. I have to talk about me versus you, you know, this versus that, in versus out. You know, language just works that way. It's, it's dualistic and conceptual. So, okay, fine. But what that automatically does is it gives a slant that I have to talk about the world. I have to talk about the world, a separate thing. When, if I just sat in silence, I and the world are not separate things. There's just one thing. I and the world are one. Um, but if I have to talk about that, I have to say, well, I'm over here and the world's over there. And so silence is that moment where I can let go and let my body be one. And I can center around that ambiguity that you talked about, that center. Um, and I, the lovely language of Merton where he says he married silence is the sense of I have to, I have to be present to all that's there. That's the center of all loves. So for me, I oftentimes, and it's probably because I, you know, come with a teaching background and I teach. It's part of what I do for a living. So for me, I always remind myself and my students and everything that silence is a way of knowing. And it doesn't mean things have gone away. It's actually things that everything shows up. And that, that whole way of knowing by unknowing. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. If we call it unknowing because what we normally think of knowing is words and conceptual. So mm -hmm. we kind of basically unsay all that and say, no, no, not that kind of knowing. So we unknow that way. 
And that unknowing is a different kind of knowing. It's a, but it's a knowing. It's, it's a rationality. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of rationality. It's a, it's a not knowing. <laughs> it's a non-conceptual. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. I remember how Maggie Ross explained it in part being set forth in a mind boggling type way that you're left to awe, to nothingness, to emptiness. She at the time was referencing some of the New Testament teachings of Jesus. You know, the first shall be last, last shall be first. Any kind of those seemingly paradoxical things that leave lead the mind to a place of not being able to hold what's going on. So you go into emptiness and nothingness and ultimately silence. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what we have here is we have uh, silence is the center of all things and how that has an ambiguity to it because it has a sense of a negative and a positive that you pointed out, Cassidy. And then we have Carl, which, oh my God, what we say for you was, oh, embodiment. Embodiment orients us to silence. So that's the heartbeat. And then for me, I kind of spoke a little bit about kind of a knowing or a presence. So there, we have three nice kind of orientations that orients us around silence. I like that. And the three, those three things encompass both the positive and negative aspects. of mm-hmm. it, it allows for social justice conversation. It mm-hmm. also allows for kind of abuse of silence. It also talks about the beauty and joy of silence and how those are necessary things. All three of those words orient in that direction. I think this is really helpful because we're trying to be inclusive here and acknowledging that, you know, when you get kind of at the level of dogma or of culture, you know, you have kind of a Christian approach to silence and a Buddhist approach to silence and a mindfulness approach to silence, et cetera, et cetera. And those all have their uses, but they also can be very culturally specific. We've talked a lot on this podcast about how people who come out of a Caucasian world maybe have an experience of silence that is shaped by their social privilege that is going to look a lot different for people of color or for people who might not have the same the same amount of you know economic resources and on you know on it goes and i think you know this is one of the challenges of this question kevin that the listener asked is how do we provide an orientation of silence that truly reaches everybody and and i think i think what we've talked about is is a good start in that direction but then i guess what i would add is that it really is okay to try to go deeper wherever you find yourself. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're drawn to Zazen, you know, that's a great 
place to dive deeper into silence. If you're drawn towards centering prayer, that's a great place to dive deeper. If you're drawn to mindfulness practice, if you're drawn to spending time in the wilderness, if you're drawn to being an artist, you know, there, there, there are many different paths. And, and, and I think it's important to recognize, maybe this is my point, it's important to recognize that each path will have its own culture and that it maybe is not very skillful to try to, you know, assess which, which path is the most, you know, is the most skillful or whatever Mm. that, that I think we have to let that go and kind of celebrate the diversity of the world that we find ourselves in. But, you know, recognition that, you know, every night when you go to sleep, there comes a point when your thoughts kind of power down and there's this moment of silence and it may only be a moment because then consciousness just is suspended for the next six to eight hours, you know, except for dream activity or whatever. And of course, dream activity is a good metaphor for the fact that, that even silence is never purely silent. Pure silence is like absolute zero. It's not necessarily the most hospitable in terms of life. So, you know, so there's always this balance between silence and sound or silence and voice or silence and song. And we live in that balance. And I think we should celebrate that and let the tension of that drive us forward into the lives that we're called to live. But then acknowledging that we're all in a different place and that that's really okay. And I think, Carl, you're pointing to not only the fact that we hope to to host all those different avenues of and towards silence on the podcast and discuss them, but also that it, it kind of reminds me of what Kevin was saying about Kevin was saying about knowing is that there's kind of an intuitive nature that we might know or have an idea of what avenue to take for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's really beautiful. And of, of course, for anyone listening, if there's something that we haven't discussed or an avenue we haven't gone down in terms of silence, we would love to go down that path and please point us to someone or, or a book or something that we could learn more about it. I love that response, Cassidy, the idea of trust yourself to know where the silence is. I I think that's a beautiful point of uh, piggybacking off of what Carl said, that there's all these avenues in and you should trust your avenue in. So orientation towards silence can give you a sense of what we mean. What, like what I think the question that the person raised on social media was, what do you mean by silence? Can you point to what you're talking about? And of course, you really can't point to silence. It's like, where is it? You know, I can't grasp it. I can't define it. If by pointing, you mean not pointing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's this, in, it's because language and words and images, it's all paradoxical. You can't, you know, it's silence begins when you let all that go. And they were asking for a pointer. So, okay, we can give some pointers. Like it's, it's like this, it's embodied, it's this, it's that. And so if you've caught the intuitive sense of what we're talking about, and you think you know what that is, start walking that path. <laughs> However, it makes sense you know, how you feel called, uh, go in that direction. Because I find that's where everything is. That's where we really are. And so we can discover ourselves and we can discover that every, I I feel like it's like we're going to walk that path and we're going to show up, quote, at the end of that path, quote, and it's all metaphorical. And we're going to discover that we're there and so is everyone else. (laughs) 
that we're going to walk into the room and finally see everyone and everything for the first time. That, that's why one of my favorite quotes I think I've said in one of the past episodes is about Christian Bobbin, the poet Christian Bobbin, who's a French writer. Made, uh, he's a poet and a writer. And he, made a, he makes the comment that we live in a world where no one has ever been, that we only show up with masks and everything else. We only show partial parts of ourselves and that we're becoming. It's because we're becoming. And so like, eventually we're going to get to the place, quote, where we fully are. And I think their silence kind of walk, suggests that, like we're walking to the fullness of everything. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, guys, it seems appropriate to kind of circle this back around to Merton's quote, not just because I love Thomas Merton, but because it really seems to encompass, at the very least, the, the ambiguity, but also just that that central love and and goodness and gladness that we hope to really keep pointing to in silence. One might say I had decided to marry the silence of the forest. The sweet dark warmth of the whole world will have to be my wife. Out of the heart of that dark warmth comes the secret that is heard only in silence, but it is the root of all the secrets that are whispered by all the lovers in their beds all over the world. So perhaps I have an obligation to preserve the stillness, the silence, the poverty, the virginal point of pure nothingness, which is at the center of all other loves. Perfect. Beautiful. Thank you, Cassidy. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Hopefully, the, in the future, a listener will hear this and say, ah, so that's what they mean by silence. and obviously this means that we really try to interact with people on the internet so if you guys ever have any questions thoughts concerns or want to hear something that we have not done yet please let us know we try to do our best to really pay close attention to you guys as listeners yeah everybody's part of this conversation so Mm -hmm. thanks my friends as always We are encountering silence. I'm Kevin Johnson. To learn more about me, please visit kevinmichaeljohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. Find out about my work at carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. My website is cassidyhall.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on this podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters. Our circle of supporters help tremendously in sharing our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.